Welcome to the Leap Health in the Workplace podcast. Leap Health empowers individuals and organizations to improve both their physical and mental health. In this podcast, we explore innovative, bespoke, proven health solutions that will improve both your personal and professional productivity and happiness. I'm Anna Reddy. Let's get ready to make small steps to leap health. So today's podcast is taken from a recording that I did for NHS Practitioner Health with Dr. Alka Patel. And today we will be discussing taking the heat off the menopause. Enjoy. Welcome to Taking the Heat Off the Menopause. We are delighted that you're here joining us in our conversation on what is really a very much needed topic of the menopause and the perimenopause. So let's kick off. What I'd love to do is start by introducing you to my colleague here, who is Anna Reddy. So what can I tell you about Anna? Well, Anna is a nutritionist and she has a background working in the pharmaceutical industry and with a range of uh, other healthcare professionals as well. She's got a very, very keen interest in illness prevention and loves to focus on productivity. And she also hosts her own podcast, which is certainly worth listening to. It's called the Leap Health Workplace Podcast. And on there, she talks about improving workplace and personal productivity. So it's great to be in conversation with you, Anna, today. Thank you very much, Alka. And now over to find out a little bit more about Dr. Alka Patel. Um, Alka is a GP with Practitioner Health, but she also runs her own online practice as a lifestyle medicine physician and longevity coach. I think we all want to live forever, don't we? Um, so Alka is passionate about helping women to connect with their DNA, to discover, notice and activate who they are, what they want and where they are going. She's also a TEDx speaker and her TEDx talk Health is a verb, not a noun, evokes evokes the emotion behind the need to create health as a skill. And I would highly recommend this. After listening to this, it was fantastic. She's also a fellow podcaster and hosts the Lifestyle First podcast, which again, I've listened to and would highly recommend this. And this provides strategic self-care action to optimal health and happiness. So let's get the the crux of this webinar podcast um, and let's explore what we're here to explore. So Alka, I've certainly seen over the last couple of years a massive change in what women are experiencing in the workplace. How about you? Oh gosh, absolutely. Uh, There has been so much change, isn't there? So um, let me think about one of the key things that I've seen change. Well, what do I know? Well, we've definitely got new acronyms in our vocabulary, haven't we? So one of my favorites is of course, WFH, working from home, um, or as I like to say, WWFH, which is women working from home. So why have I added this extra WN? Well, if you look back, the first year of the pandemic did see lots of women working from home. And initially, this was really thought to be a really, really positive thing for women. And there have been statistics that have shown that the number of women between 25 and 44 actually in work rose by 1.8%, which is a good thing. So now we're in that second year of the pandemic and lots of organisations then try to take on what was really learned in that first year of the pandemic and combine it with traditional ways of working. So we've now got, yes, another new acronym in our vocabulary, which is HW, hybrid working. And that kind of creates this sense that, I guess, flexible working is good news for women. 
But here is the thing. So despite shifting work arrangements, women are actually reporting burnout and stress at alarming levels. They came across a 2022 survey, and this was of 5,000 women. And this survey highlighted that 53% of women say that their stress levels are higher, higher than they were a year ago, and 46% feel burned out. Now, I think that might actually be one of the most significant numbers I do highlight today. 46% of women feel burned out. Now, for me, stress and burnout are, are areas of my specialism. And the fallout that I've seen from that, Anna, is this incredible spiral towards health issues. I'm talking about anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, diabetes, and, and on it goes. Because I think the other thing from WFH is women forgetting health. Because really, if it's not done right, Working from home and hybrid working means that actually women are taking their eye off the most important thing, which is their health, right? So there's certainly something going on on there. So what about what about you, Anna? What would you say you've noticed as being one really significant change since the pandemic? Well, certainly I echo everything that you've said, and I do think we're singing from the same hymn sheet, even in terms of using the acronym WFH. I do a lot around working from home without forgetting health, so WFH, WFH. Um, but yeah, I, I think it is it is a massive issue, and I think if we touch on presenteeism as well, which is has been around forever, and presenteeism to define, define it is working with suboptimal health, and pre-pandemic, the CIPD did a survey which identified 89% of people had spotted people working with suboptimal health, but only actually a third of companies were addressing it and felt comfortable to address it. So there was a big issue then. Fast forward to that, the latest survey now suggests that 84% of people spot presenteeism. So you think, oh, has it improved? It's got lower. But actually, let's think about it realistically. If you're working from home, how often are you having that connection with your employees? Who might notice when you're not working with full health? Um, and I think that's something that we need to be aware of. When you're working from home, it's far easier to mask working with suboptimal health. And particularly for women, women are pretty good at just getting on with it. And equally, you know, when you're working from home, it is far harder to say no to things. So if you're working from home, it's far easier to think, yeah, well, you know what, I could pick the kids up at this time. I could sort the house out at this time. I could sort out my elderly parents. And women really don't like to say no. So I think, although, you know, we're working from home has its benefits, we're juggling a lot more as well because there's all sorts of other things that we think that we need to fit into that as well. Yeah, oh no, for sure. So that word juggling, I don't know about you, have you actually ever tried juggling? I'm talking about juggling with balls and, and skittles, not the not the juggle of life. It's really funny you, you mentioned that because um, I had a go once and uh, only managed to, I think, juggle three skittles before everything else just then came crashing down. I was at this um, circus half day type of workshop. So I tried the whole spinning plate thing as well. And again, I don't think I was spinning many plates. There was certainly a lot of smashing plates, not spinning plates. Um, but actually, you know, thinking about 
juggling and spinning plates and even that tightrope of work-life balance that we all seem to be working it just like it really does turn life into a bit of a circus act doesn't it i think especially for women who are juggling a lot and i think certainly women juggle a lot more than men but i really wondered why why is that why are women the jugglers more than the men yeah, I think naturally women do think they can multitask more than men. Men are, men are a lot better at just focusing on one task at a time. And um, women seem to think they can take the world on. And I think maybe a lot of this comes back to, you know, history really and traditional roles within the household. So I don't think we've got away from that. And I don't think we've got over the fact that it's still thought women should keep the house spotless, women should sort out the kids. You know, women should do all those traditional roles but then, you know, alongside that, women now want careers. They want to show their worth. They want to contribute to the income. And so I think we need to get over what are those traditional roles um, and just realise that we're not superwoman. We can't juggle absolutely everything. And we've really got to prioritise and really be focused on what is our why and what are the key priorities around that that are going to get us to our why. And like you quite rightly said we sometimes miss the fundamental importance of health and without our health and without prioritizing our health then we can't deliver for all the other people that we're expected to to deliver and often you feel selfish prioritizing yourself and prioritizing your own health but without doing that we can't be effective in the workplace we can't be effective at home and we can't be you know the strong women that, that we want to be so I think the real key is to realise we're not superwoman and it's not selfish to prioritise ourselves. Remember about your why and think about the key things that are going to get you there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so picking up on that in terms of health, I mean, our health as women is also very much guided by our hormones as well. And that taps into our why and our priorities as well. So I think it might be really useful to just maybe shift the conversation a little bit to then talk about hormones as well, because we have our menstrual cycle, don't we? And for many women that can be relatively predictable, but then something else happens and the predictability changes. So we talk about menstruation and we talk about the absence of menstruation and we use a lot of other words like menopause and perimenopause and postmenopause and I think it's really important to just distinguish what we're talking about because these are very three distinct I guess psychological physiological and biochemical processes that are occurring so um, it might be useful just to give a little bit of sort of definition and just make sure we're all understanding the, the this common terminology that so much many of us are using so much of the time now so the menopause is in itself a very distinct period of time so it's the time from your very last period to 12 months later so if you think about it, you can only identify that in retrospect, because if you have a period and you think it's your last one, and then you don't have one for six months, but then do six months later, the clock then starts again for the next 12 months. So that you can then go back and say that's the menopause period right 12 months later your post menopause your post menopausal and then we've got that time before your last period which is when the perimenopause creeps in peri meaning around and i think the most important word i've said there 
is creeps in because that's exactly what it does for so many women. Like I said, you've got menstruation, which is marked by the start of periods, and you've got menopause, which is marked by the end of periods, and that's a really clear and obvious signal. I guess it's the presence or absence of, of menstrual blood, but that perimenopause, well, during that, there can be so much that's so different for women. None of us experience the perimenopause the same. So. You may or may not have regular periods. You may or may not experience psychological or physiological changes as symptoms. You may or may not have one of the, I think at the last count, it was 34 changes that are connected to the perimenopause. And these all relate from that whole A to Z. So I'm talking anxiety, bloating, breast tenderness, body odor changes, brain fog, that's certainly a new word that a lot of people are using as well. We're talking depression, digestive problems, dizziness, fatigue, all the way down to vaginal dryness, weight gain, and in fact, sometimes feeling like a zombie, that's the Z. So um, thinking about all of these changes and more, they continue for a significant period of our, of our life as, as women when you take into account that whole postmenopausal period as well and remember you know we're all now living much longer than we were 150 years ago so all these topics these symptoms these feelings whether it's libido and incontinence or hot flushes these are not easy conversations to have over coffee break at work are they women do really find it pretty hard to just openly talk about the changes they're experiencing, even though they're such common experiences, such universal experiences, despite us all experiencing them difficult, uh, differently. So I guess the question is, why is this so difficult for us to have a conversation about what's going on? Yeah, you bet. It is really, really difficult. And it's quite strange it's difficult because at the beginning of our talk, we were kind of talking about the way women juggle things. And, and that was maybe our opinion if a bloke came in, they might say, hey, up, I do. I do quite a lot of that. They could say that. But now we've got to the hardcore evidence. Women go through the menopause. So this is hardcore evidence that we have different hormones. And yet we find it difficult to discuss. And I think, again, I'm going to go back to tradition. I'm going to go back to history. Um, I think it's because it's always been a taboo subject. It's always been a bit hush-hush. Even your mums and grandmas didn't really talk about it to you know, generations to come, did they? And I think it's something that really needs to change in the workplace, but in our home life as well, that it is something that we can talk about and increase awareness around those symptoms. So you described those symptoms. I love that you said 34 because I'm up to 34 in my, when I look, find out about the number of symptoms, but people vary with that, don't they? And I probably think there's probably a lot more out there to come. Um, but I think we need to be a bit more transparent about these symptoms um, and talk about them so that it is just a common way of life, that this is what happens to women and then how we can maybe support them. But yeah, I think... The reason that it's probably not spoken about is because of traditions and history. Um, and it's also that understanding and, and knowledge. So, you know, even if you're going through it ourselves, like we said, it, it creeps on and we don't always know what those symptoms are. Um, so we can be experiencing things and not actually, you know, piece it together with it actually being perimenopause. And that's women that go through it. So how on earth then are men meant to know about that as well? So I think there's... A big piece around awareness and knowledge. I think there's a big piece around 
changing the you know the nature of the topic that it, it's not a whole church it's not a taboo subject it's real life women are living with it um and change cultures within the workplace as well so that they encourage it they encourage women to talk about it as well so i think it's those you know three areas knowledge um, awareness and awareness and changing changing cultures and changing the way that we talk about it mm-hmm. um, yeah so there's probably a sort of mutual responsibility here isn't there you know who's responsible yeah. for having these conversations in the workplace and you know absolutely it does does come from you i think obviously you can start these conversations but i do feel fundamentally that the workplace can do so much to support women to enable them to uh, really explore and understand what's what's going on and feel that they've got a space and a place to to be able to not only just describe what's going on but also actually for then something to be done about that so i do think workplace the workplace itself uh, leaders do have a significant role to play and there's something that i always um, talk about when i do talk about you know whose responsibility is it and it's really thinking about some a words so really if you think about it it's awareness firstly that enables acknowledgement and then acknowledgement is what enables action and then action is what enables appreciation so i've thrown in quite a few a words in there so maybe i'll just break this down um, a little bit so awareness enables acknowledgement so what do i mean by this so as a leader or a partner a manager uh, in any organization in any industry not knowing i think not being aware of a woman's experience it's not really a valid excuse anymore is it and you know awareness is raising is happening everywhere you really have to buried your head in the sand if you're not aware of the issues by now i mean take this webinar there's front pages of papers the morning news radio facebook tv documentaries celebrities raising the profile of a woman's hormonal experience the awareness is high and i think once you're aware you have to acknowledge the issues acknowledge the impact stress anxiety depression marriage breakdown job losses these are all the impacts and you've got to understand that they're present and that they're real and in any working environment they come with the woman it's not something that she just leaves behind somewhere and brings a different experience to work with her it's just part of her and part of her essence so i think really the first thing is you can't unknow what you know the awareness is is there And then the second part, what I said was acknowledgement enables action. So what do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is once you know what those issues are, once you've raised your awareness, then you're in a position to take action to make a difference. And we know that these actions can take so many forms. I've heard of so many organizations doing so many different things. And this could range from having one to one with women in your organizations, having those more sort of personal conversations as leaders, or setting up open forums to open the discussion around the perimenopause, menopause and the postmenopause. I know you and I both go into workplaces as well to facilitate these conversations to have experts coming in and have that be the conversation starter whether it's sharing some expertise or opening the conversation uh, there's things around allowing more flexible working again we're talking a lot about flexible working but you know what does flexible working actually mean to women it's not about clocking in and clocking out the hours but perhaps it's 
focusing on outcomes more in a more agile way. I know that's a word that you use um, a lot um, as well. And really, it comes down to creating a space to share, I think, because sharing matters and I, I could go on with with lots of other actions as well um and then the final piece that i touched on was action enables appreciation and what i mean by this is really appreciating what women give to a workplace and this again so much there you know with age comes wisdom and women in their 40s and 50s and 60s they bring experience to an organization they bring comfort they bring cohesion they're often that glue that brings the organization together so people workplaces they've again got responsibility to allow women in this space in life to have space and flexibility so that they can even bring more even more of themselves into their workplace so you know there really is so much uh, that can be done i've touched on a few things but what about you anna from your experience what else do you think can be done specifically in the workplace yeah well i think it's like you said increasing that awareness isn't it um and increasing companies awareness about the risk and cost to them of losing these women at this stage when like you say they're full of knowledge they've got so much experience and so much that they can share with other people um, and we all know with age you get you get headstrong don't you you get a little bit more fixed on the way to go in, to go in life although you know many menopause and perimenopause can give you a slight element of anxiety in general, I think with age, we've come clear about the people that we are and where we want to go. And your younger self would love to have that. And I think if these older, you know, ladies, not saying, not saying you're old when you get to uh, menopause, but just saying, you know, at that age, I think we've got so much to give to younger people to help them flourish through their careers as well. Um, you know, in a, in combination with all that knowledge that we've got it, got to give as well um so i think it's really really increasing that awareness to companies as the need that they've got to retain these ladies um and look after them really and realize that they can't lose that talent um and but if they do then they're losing not just the trust of those ladies but they're losing the trust of the whole workforce because people see how, how they treat how they treat menopause um, and they can set an example for for cultures by so it's an example for the type of workplace that they are by the way they manage issues such as menopause um, but also they've got to recognize that there's uh, legal implications as well I do a lot of work with employment law solicitors um, and there's lots of legal complications they could get into a mess with if they don't address it equally you know like HR don't want to be dealing with things reactively it costs them to be dealing with things reactively the key is to take a proactive approach. So, that, like you said, increase awareness, increase acknowledgement, increase action. Um, just really empower women to steer their own journey through this period of time and empower other people to be able to support them as well. Um, and I think the latest stats that I've seen is that it does actually cost an organisation around 30 to £35,000 a year if they lose a woman at this stage you know to, to replace them so it's a huge uh, cost implication um, and then an also interesting report which doesn't look specifically at menopausal women but it addresses musculoskeletal and mental health problems which are all consequences of the menopause and this is the john lewis working well campaign and um, this predicts that 
absenteeism and presenteeism due to men- musculoskeletal and mental health issues by 2025 will cost £2,605 per employee. So it's a huge amount if we don't address now and create that proactive approach to managing health early on is going to have cost implications later on in terms of productivity and cost to organisations. Um, and if anyone's wanting to find out more information around menopause, I'd really re- recommend the work of Dr Louise Newson, which is fantastic. She's doing a lot of great work around this and it's carried out quite a lot of studies. Um, and one of these actually showed that out of 3.5 million women who are age 50 and over who are in employment in the UK, half of them reported some kind of symptoms interfering with with their work life and actually 10% of them stopped work so that is a huge amount that we're losing in the workforce due to this when actually we could be taking a step back and like Dr Alka you know said taking that proactive approach around awareness acknowledgement action and appreciation yeah for sure for sure so we do talk a lot about, and when you say take a proactive approach, we talk a lot about HRT, don't we, approach to, to managing your own hormones. And it's not quite the focus of our, of our conversation today. But I think, you know, really to think about lifestyle changes in the menopause is really important. So it's, again, that's a very proactive way of taking back control of the direction of, of your own life, uh, focusing on, on your lifestyle and what you choose to do and uh, really sort of take with you to work. And that's a really key area um, of focus, I know, um, certainly for me and, and for you as well, is to really think about those lifestyle interventions that support work um, in the perimenopause and the menopause and the postmenopausal stages of life. Um, and one, I think for me, one really interesting area that I think we don't talk about enough is menopause and aging. So what do I mean by aging? Well, I'm not talking about the candles on your cake uh, when you're experiencing the menopause and that sort of aging. I'm talking about your internal cellular level aging. And again, we don't we don't highlight this enough, but what we do know is that men age very linearly. So there's a really gradual change in function with men over time. But with women, with women, there's this rapid, rapid acceleration in aging at the menopause, around the time of the menopause. So there you are sort of linearly aging and then suddenly, wham, your trajectory totally changes. And I think it's really important for us to to recognize um, that as well. Um, But more than just recognizing it, uh, one thing that is very, very exciting at the moment is that we can now measure it. We can actually measure what happens to your internal age, your biological age around the time of the menopause. And in fact, measuring your biological age, it's a test that I do on absolutely all of my patients and all of my clients. And this isn't the sort of test that you can get uh, from your GP. Um, So this is a test that I do in my own lifestyle medicine practice. But uh, let me explain why I think this is so, so fundamentally important um, and what this gives us. So there are glycans in our bodies. So they're little molecules that are attached to antibodies, our IgG, our immune system. And what they do is they regulate inflammation and they're very strong biomarkers of aging. And the reason is that aging 
is very, very closely connected to inflammation. And so another lovely word that I love using is inflammaging. So these glycans, they're biomarkers, uh, not only biomarkers, but they're what we also call functional effectors. So what do I mean by that? So what they do, glycans, is they decide if a particular antibody is going to promote inflammation and be pro-inflammatory, or if it will suppress inflammation and be anti-inflammatory. Now, most of us know what we're talking about when we talk about inflammation. We've all cut our skin, the area gets red, hot and painful. So we've seen this and we know that inflammation is really important. It's part of our evolutionary pathway, really. It helps us to defend ourselves and fight bacteria and viruses. But actually, here's the thing, right? 150 years ago, we were not living to 30 years plus beyond the menopause now. You know, the average age of the menopause is 51 um, for many women as an average, and it is very much an average as a real uh, breadth to that. But most women are living at least 30 years beyond that. And we haven't then evolved any sort of evolutionary pressure to control inflammation. So what this means is that inflammation is now taking over our lives, not as a defender, but as an attacker. And this is very relevant to the menopause. So how does this relate to the, to the menopause? So what we know is that when you measure estrogen levels in the perimenopausal period just to try and help answer that question could this be the menopause is what i'm going through the menopause is my mood changes or my bloating related to the menopause measuring estrogen is really unhelpful because your estrogen levels fluctuate so much in that perimenopausal period so it's not really a test that that's advocated but glycans glycans are affected by estrogen and what they do is they integrate the your estrogen concentration over a four to six to twelve week period so they give you an average hormone concentration and the key thing here is they can do that even before symptoms begin so the reason i'm highlighting that is if you think about symptoms they're almost like the end point something's happened way before upstream at your molecular level before you even get symptoms so if you see a rapid change in your glycans your glycan age your biological age you absolutely know that something's going on and as i said right at the beginning it, this could then be the perimenopause because there's a huge acceleration so if you monitor your glycan age regularly and suddenly something changes that's when you can think, well, could this be? Yeah, this could very well be the effect of the perimenopause because it's so acute and, and, and so obvious. Um, so I think that's something really, really important for us to just you know think about. I really wanted to drop that seed today because menopause and aging are really important things to, to talk about um, together. And another reason for this is also around um, the misdiagnosis of the perimenopause. And that's not uncommon and if you think about it there's so many symptoms we've both said 34 like you said there's probably many many more but mood changes migraines gut issues memory changes tiredness these symptoms are also symptoms of other issues that can be going on um, and so that's why doctors would always consider other causes of symptoms that are not perimenopause related so things like anemia or thyroid problems so we can see how it can be really tricky to really knuckle down is this the perimenopause or not and it's an important distinction to make and vice versa lots can get diagnosed as the perimenopause that could be something else and lots of women are, 
feel it's something else like depression or thyroid problems when actually it's the perimenopause. So I think really important to uh, to highlight this. Um, and of course, not everything is resolved with HRT on the back of that. And I know there's lots and lots of really important conversations about HRT going on, but lifestyle inventions are so, so important. You and I both know this, right? You can't take HRT and expect everything to be resolved and still carry on eating donuts and sitting all day at your desk and wonder why you're still feeling tired and can't concentrate and can't lose weight, right? So we absolutely have to focus on uh, lifestyle. Um, um, and in fact, I've sort of created a formula, a lifestyle um, method, which I call the lifestyle first method, which covers 10 very, very key elements of your lifestyle that make a massive difference to your health. And I said right at the beginning, I love acronyms. So uh, the lifestyle first method is an acronym which spells out lifestyle. So really focusing on life's purpose, identity, food, exercise, sleep taking time out, your connections, learning habits and emotions, which all then spells out that word lifestyle and makes it really easy to remember what to focus on. These are really core elements. So yes, have the conversations in your workplace. Yes, have conversations about HRT, but remember to really zone in on what do I do? with my lifestyle? What do I want to change? Because your lifestyle comes everywhere with you, right? Work anywhere, take your lifestyle everywhere. So how are you moving at work? I mean, right now I'm at my stand-up desk, which I love, it makes me agile, it helps my mental clarity. Who are you connecting to at work? How are you modifying your stress? So I think, you know, and certainly when I go and do some of the corporate work and talk about workplace wellbeing interventions, you know, talking about these things um, is so important. And uh, a lot of people that have taken my Lifestyle First Method course have said, this is the stuff that makes a difference. So I think it's really important that you recognize that by changing your own lifestyle, you can change your own trajectory as well. And I could go on and on and on, and we can zone in on stress, which is a real potent driver. We could focus on sleep, which we know um, is so important. And I know, Anna, from your perspective, um, nutrition is something that you uh, that you really do focus on from your background. And just um, uh, I will hand over to you to give us some more detail about that. But what we know from Tim Spector's work is that the menopause and nutrition are really, really highly connected. So that same meal that you ate pre-menopause has actually has a different effect metabolically on you post-menopause. So you can't even assume that what you ate before is the same as what you ate after because your metabolism really changes dramatically through the menopause. Your glucose um, response is very different. Um, and again, this comes back to inflammation. There's a higher inflammatory response um, with food um, as well. So again, really important to zone in on, well, actually, what nutritional changes do I need to make that give be a different response um, as well. So maybe you can talk about some of that, Anna, um, in terms of your nutritional background. What sort of foods and nutrition should we helpfully, could we helpfully focus on remembering that everything is different for everybody? Yes, certainly. And you've touched on so many topics there. We could be here all day talking about this, couldn't we? It is just vast. Um, so I'm going to really try and keep it straight to the point. Um, but before I do get straight to the point, um, talking of your testing, which is absolutely fascinating. And key to understand when you're going to start when you're starting experiencing these symptoms and you're going through that because I keep saying proactive approach is important but it is because the long-term complications of menopause are cardiovascular disease 
osteoporosis, you know, women's rates of Alzheimer's increase dramatically to menopause. So by being proactive and putting these interventions in place early on, we have like, better long-term outcomes. Um, and as I said, you know, HRT is great for a lot of for, for a lot of women. And I think there's been a lot of bad press around it that probably needs to you know, be addressed um, because it has benefits for lots and lots of women. But having said that, like Alka said, you can't just take something and then be your lifestyle of unhealthy choices. I worked in diabetes for a long, long time, discussing, you know, wonderful medication that could really really make a difference to patients with diabetes but that doesn't mean they can go away like I said and eat donuts and sweets and sit on the backside forever it's got to work together you've got to support yourself as well you've got to be proactive so yeah nutrition is just one of the elements I use a different acronym with both really hot on our acronyms I guess but yeah <laughs> I use a ready acronym um but yeah um it's exploring lots of the similar areas but I'm going to focus on nutrition so I think one thing we've got to keep at the forefront of our mind is is it appetite or is it hunger because often we we misinterpret those two things um and you know our hunger levels can in you know probably actual hunger levels reduce during menopause because our basal metabolic rate which is the amount our body needs just to do basic functions does reduce with age and um, but our appetite during perimenopause and beyond can increase um, and as our estrogen levels drop our insulin sensitivity drops as well which can pose a risk as you all know in, in diabetes patients if we have less insulin sensitivity um, for more weight particularly to be put on around the middle area which as we know can be a risk for long-term complications um, so it does make it a little bit more difficult. Also, as well, um, you know, we have a loss of muscle mass as well, which muscle mass um, burns more calories at rest than fat does. So it's really key that we're trying to preserve that muscle mass as well. So, yeah, it is quite complex and it can be quite difficult. Added on with that, as we mentioned with the symptoms, you can feel quite tired. Um, you can have trouble sleeping as well. And when we sleep, that this helps to regulate our hormones as well. So it helps to regulate leptin and ghrelin, which are our hung hunger, and the ones that make you feel hungry. So ghrelin makes you feel hungry. And leptin gives you that sense of fullness. So when we sleep, it helps to regulate those as well. So if we're not getting the sleep that we need, it can be impacting on those hunger hormones and make us maybe feel hungrier than we actually are. So what are the things you can actually do to help yourself? As I said, this is a really complex topic. So I'm going to try and keep it, you know, give you some actionable steps. So think about plenty of fibre. And in the UK currently, we get around about 20 grams of fibre a day when actually we need about 30. So think about your fibre in two sections, a soluble and insoluble fibre. So soluble fibre is a bit like a sponge and it soaks things up. So I think about things like, or some things that will soak things up and your insoluble fiber things a bit like if you fit as a brush and it sweeps things away through the guts or things like your root vegetables and um, but these are really good for creating that sense of fullness satiety and um, but also really good for your gut health and there's loads of evidence there to show that we've got a gut brain axis and um, so it will support the way that you're feeling mentally as well during this time so 
really try and you know make sure that you're getting a good amount of fiber then think about your protein as well again this will make you feel fuller so suppress your appetite a little bit more but also try and preserve your muscle mass as well and we need protein which is the the building blocks um to support support our muscles and then also think as well around maybe some of the vitamins and minerals that you need to increase so such as your b vitamins to support your brain health particularly b12 plays a really important role in the blood brain barrier so the blood brain barrier is a bit like the bouncers on the brain that determines what's going in and what's going out it's very very highly regulated and b vitamins play a role within this um think about your omega-3s and i don't often promote supplements but i think if you're going to supplement on anything omega-3s are probably one that we struggle to get enough of um you know we advocate maybe couple of portions of oil and fish a week um but if you are big vegan that conversion rate with like nuts and seeds is, is a little bit more tricky than if you're eating fish so that might be one that you want to consider supplementing and vitamin d as well um which we know is really important for our bones um and during this period of time when estrogen levels drop our bones are more susceptible to you know, um to osteopenia osteoporosis so I would really encourage you to make sure you get an adequate amount of vitamin D. During the summer months, it might be a little bit easier to do that, but maybe during the months of September to March, you might want to consider supplementing. And then there's lots of evidence around vitamin D supporting our mental health as well. Um, so those are three ones that maybe you, you want to consider. There's a lot more out there, but um, for the purpose of today, those are probably the three key players I would think about. Um, but also, probably... Just adding another one here, which goes with vitamin D, your calcium, they kind of go together a bit like you might think of fish and chips, they go together. You think about your calcium for your bones, but without the calcium, without the vitamin D, sorry, it's not going to activate that calcium. So um, I think often we can get enough calcium in our diet, but we need that vitamin D to activate it. So those are the three areas I'd think about. Think about fiber, think about protein and think about, you know, those three things that I mentioned, B vitamins omega-3s and your vitamin d so i hope that helps a little bit to skim the surface a little bit on nutrition um, have you got anything to add to that okay yeah oh gosh there's so much isn't it? i think we probably need to do a whole new episode uh, on the uh, conversation on on this as well um so just i'm just picking up on the uh, bone side of things that you were talking about as well because again the thing for to remember is that your bone stock is probably maximal at uh, the age of between 30 and 35 and yeah. there's a significant loss of bone strength around the menopause about sort of three percent so really important to to focus on this and um, we haven't talked about um soya much um yet and that's another topic uh, to talk about because again this is the stuff that's out there and people googling will will pick up on this so soya is very rich in phytonutrients and interestingly it occupies estrogen receptors in bone so what it does is it does then promote bone strength so there's something there about um soya um, as a food choice as well um, and just again on terms of bone strength lots of people are now walking a lot aren't they and we started the conversation about what changed through the pandemic and uh, i think we've gone full circle is that really a lot more people are walking a lot more which is great for a whole host of reasons but just thinking about bone health yes it helps but your bone strength doesn't increase without having some weight 
attached to that walking. So thinking more specifically about your bone strength, you a lot of research is pointing to needing to walk with a weighted jacket or walk with weighted uh, ankle supports or wristbands to actually help to increase the bone strength specifically. This is, doesn't negate walking as a great thing um, without that, but just really wanted to zone in on that. And when you are thinking about exercise as well, really keep it multi-component. In my course, I talk about uh, health, um, exercise basics and go through what all of those uh, different components of exercise are but we're talking also about resistance exercise and impact exercise as well even vibration plates and vibrational exercise is, is beneficial for bones as well but uh, but we could absolutely keep talking couldn't we um do you have one final takeaway one thing that you would suggest uh, to women who are working with menopause symptoms that they could do and i'll share one at the end as well before we say goodbye uh, yeah, I think my key take message, I've used this word zillions and zillions of times, but be proactive, steer your own journey and make yourself aware of all the symptoms that you are so that you recognise them early on and then can steer your journey as to how, how the menopause takes you. And it's not all doom and gloom. There are so many things that you can do. And all these lifestyle interventions that we talk about can actually be enjoyable. So steer your own journey and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, no, great, uh, great tip. Uh, thank you, Anna. And I guess what would I leave you with? Well, I think it's really just uh, at the end of everything that we've talked about today, we talked about so much is really just to take a pause on the menopause. And I really say this is just to give yourself some space to think and reflect on what's important for me at this stage of my life. And also to think about how do I want to share this with others because sharing matters so maybe just pause and think can i be that person who shares can i be the conversation starter for someone else that this might conversation might have such a profound impact and and be of such support because i think women coming together and realizing that they're not alone um, is so important so really just take a pause Think about very clearly which direction do I want to go in next? What's that one next thing that I can take? Start the conversation and really tune in to yourself. Love it. And I often say make health contagious, which echoes what you've just said then. Love that. Wonderful. Well, look, Anna, it's been fabulous sharing this uh, this conversation with you today, um, which I think really loves us to just wish everyone listening a happy, healthy day. Thank you so much. And Alka, if anyone wants to find out more about you, where can they find you? Ah, yes, that's a great, a great point. I'm sure, uh, yeah, I think people will hopefully want to, to know more about what we do and how we do it and even just to have the conversation um, with us directly. So um, I'm on, uh, the easiest place to reach me is probably through my website, which is dralkapatel.com. And I'm also on all the social media channels at UK. Very happy to, to expand on anything that we've talked about. If I've repeated your curiosity about a biological age test and you'd like one, certainly tap into me if you want support in your own workplace uh, very happy to to come in and uh, start conversations provide information um, be a facilitator um, as well do a lot of that in that workplace environment um, as well if you're interested in anything like my courses or anything you'll find them all on my website but and there's a place there that you can just tap connect send me a message or a video and we can get, get chatting straight away It'd be lovely to speak and what about you Anna likewise Thank you, Alka. Um, yes, so for myself, if you want to find out more about workplace health workshops or 
I said things such as working from home without forgetting help or nourish to flourish through different menopause um, or food for mood, all different workplace health workshops. Um, it's www.leaphealth.co.uk or I often hang out on LinkedIn, um, Anna Reddy Leap Health. Or if you do just want to get in touch with me direct, it's Anna at leaphealth.co.uk. So thanks so much for tuning in and um, yeah, please get in touch with either of us if you would like any more information. So before you stop listening, I want you to think about how you can make health contagious. Did anything resonate in the podcast? What did you learn that was new? Did you hear something that you thought someone else would love to hear? If so, please share this podcast. Please leave me a review or please get in touch at anna at leaphealth.co.uk to learn more about how you can improve physical and mental health of individuals and those in the workplace so that everybody can feel happier and healthier and more productive. Thank you. So today's podcast is from a recording taken at the So today's podcast is taken from a recording that I did for NHS Practitioner Health with Dr. Alka Patel. And today we will be discussing taking the heat off the menopause. Enjoy.